Welcome to episode 90 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G, and it's brought to you by Moritz Science and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. This week, we also welcome Pat Moorhead, our illustrious firm's founder and chief analyst. And we're going to cover a special Mobile World Congress 2022 Barcelona wrap-up, given that the three amigos, we were all there. So welcome. Yeah, we were. Yeah. Man, it is great to be here. I'll tell you what, I see all the fun you guys have in the G2 on 5G by More Insight Strategy. I'm like, I want some of that. And I don't know, maybe we, we uh, I don't know when we agreed to, to get on here, but I really appreciate, really appreciate the invite. And, and here we are. Awesome. Well, I'm going to get started. And then Pat, I'm going to hand it over to you. But obviously, I cover infrastructure and security for the firm. And so I did publish a Forbes article this week. It was my wrap up. It was quite lengthy, um, about a 10 minute read, but it was action packed. And from the show, I came away with three themes. And, you know, one was obviously private 5G uh, as a service. And uh, that's something that I predicted on a prior podcast. And I want to go into a little more detail about that. There was a lot of discussion around VRAM and OpenRAM. No surprise there. And then finally, last but not least, um, some announcements around carrier services and network enablement from the U.S. tier ones. So let me run through those first. So from private 5G networking as a service perspective, both Cisco and HPE just prior to the show announced their offerings. They are similar. Both Cisco and HPE will supply the core, but they are partnering with, um, with companies like Airspan uh, Wireless and G, uh, Networks actually and GMA Wireless for the RAN. What's a little bit different about, about both of these offerings, one, Cisco is gonna lean heavily into its uh, very deep and broad IoT capabilities. I think that is spot on because when you look in my opinion at the majority of the addressable market within the enterprise, I, I guess over 50% of that TAM is gonna be in manufacturing automation. So I believe Cisco is very well positioned given their IoT strength. Now, on the other hand, HPE has a lot of strength in a very mature telco organization where they've been delivering a 5G core stack and tremendous depth uh, in both automation and orchestration. And so the HPE offering, no surprise, is part of GreenLake, uh, the IT consumption service model. And Pat, you know, I know you comment quite a bit on IT consumption and you follow GreenLake, but you know, both very strong announcements validating um, you know, the, just the overall, you know, you know, value of uh, deploying private 5G within the enterprise and delivering that as a service. So again, I published a Forbes article. There's more details there if our viewers and listeners want to dive into it. The second area was around VRAN and OpenRAN. And so there were a number of announcements. Um, I follow Samsung networks quite closely. From my perspective, among their, its incumbent uh, uh, competitors, like in the Ericsson's and um, the Nokia's of the world, Samsung has really taken a leadership position in VRAN. And at the show, they announced uh, a VRAN ecosystem that's going to involve a number of partners like Wind River and Dell Technologies, Red Hat, you know, sort of a who's who. And, you know, from my perspective, just really reinforces their leadership and leading the VRAN charge. Uh, Marvell and Dell had an announcement as well, where Dell actually collaborated with Marvell to develop an open RAN accelerator card. And I think this is a great step for Dell because um, they've had like, you know, one toe in the telco space, but about a year and a half ago, they reorganized, they, they reduced some layers of management. Dennis Hoffman is leading that organization. And this is really a proof point to what I, what I deem a purpose-built 
telco piece of hardware. So I think it's good for Dell, and I think for them to be able to be competitive with HPE and Lenovo and others, they'll continue to have to focus on, on that sort of thing. Um, Qualcomm also, and I know, Pat, you're going to talk about Qualcomm, but they announced the, uh, their X100 5G RAM accelerator card. Prior to Mobile World Congress, there was an announcement with HPE as a lead partner. And at the event, they talked about a relationship with Mavenir, where they're going to help enable uh, Mavenir's open RAN solution. And then finally, Rakuten Symphony. I don't know if either of you were keeping you know, score on the number of press releases they were issuing, but I think they won the, they won the contest there, 12 or 13 announcements with a number of people, AT&T and Cisco. You know, and I've been somewhat um, suspect of uh, their ability to be competitive in this space because it is born out of uh, Rakuten Japan's um, stumbles within OpenRAN, but certainly all of the announcements at Mobile World Congress, in my mind, really validated uh, market acceptance for, um, you know, for Rakuten Symphony and that platform. And then finally, talking about carrier services, Prior to the, to the event, AT&T announced its private 5G Edge solution. No surprise, they're partnered with Microsoft Azure. They announced earlier in the year or late last year, moving um, AT&T's uh, 5G core to Azure. So this was uh, an expected you know, kind of next step in development. What I like about this is that um, AT&T is focused on Edge enabling their private 5G service. They're gonna offer the flexibility of both public network slicing and CBRS on-go spectrum. And they're focused on very discrete use cases. Now, this is in contrast to Verizon that's been um, you know, announcing all of this edge enablement with AWS you know, tied to its public network, but it's, you know, they still haven't deployed their mid-band. And that's really where edge in my mind is gonna be viable and competitive. So, and then finally to wrap up my, uh, my summary, Right before the event as well, T-Mobile announced its TIOT initiative. Um, you know, both Anshul and I, and I believe Pat, you were a part of that pre-brief as well. But what I like about this, uh, this approach is that T-Mobile and Deutsche Telekom together are focused on harmonizing the overall sale, deployment, and management of IoT on a global basis. And I think that's really powerful because IoT has tended to be very fragmented and difficult to manage, and it varies region by region. So. I know that was a lot of information, but again, I've got a Forbes article out there. Our, our listeners and viewers can uh, can learn more if you want to dig into it. But with that, hey Pat, I want to hand it over to you. Yeah. So am I allowed to boomerang on yes, uh, on what you? Okay. So uh, first of all, you know, private five G. I didn't hear anybody talking about that it wasn't going to happen because it is. And as you yeah. talked about Cisco and HPE, and then you've got the carrier enablement here. The only question was how big it is. Uh, in fact, you and I, uh, you and I were in a meeting uh, where, where that discussion uh, 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 came out. Uh, I, I know that, but to me, um, it's a little bit of an inevitability, particularly when you 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 know you say, "Hey, uh, I can support 5G for outlets in my warehouse, or I could do 5G Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and have all these signals uh, colliding." Uh, uh, with each other. So it makes sense. The other thing is, is from a privacy standpoint, there are some auto companies in Germany that, that quite frankly, don't, don't want their data uh, sitting on uh, a, a certain uh, carrier equipment maker's uh, gear. <laughs> right. yeah. And uh, they, they shall be uh, unknown here. Um, on the open RAN stuff, and, and this is one of my high level takeaways uh, related to this, uh, this thing's real. It, it's yeah. happening. Yeah. Right. It's not this it's not this landslide that's happening that 
you know, RAN's going to go away uh, immediately, but I'd be surprised yeah. come 6G how much standard RAN there, there will be. Um, and open RAN, I mean, what an expected cast of characters here, HPE and Dell, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, you know, Dell, uh, first and foremost, um, you know, they have a supply chain for anything, including Samsung TVs, uh, I might add. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, HP is, uh, that's kind of a little little joke here. But, uh, no, in all reality, uh, HP and Dell are, are the companies you would expect on, on one angle and then Cisco um, uh, on the, on the other is just a kind of a, kind of a natural, uh, uh for this, but yeah. so some other stuff that, uh, uh, came out, I mean, you know, you hit it, you hit it. Well, I mean, RAN transformation is accelerating, yeah. right. Um, for years, uh, we looked at the core network and we went from proprietary switched to virtualization. And then now we're going from virtualization to cloudification using containers and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And, Voila, the carriers are at the same point as a modern cloud uh, infrastructure. And that's, that's just where they have to be, have to be to compete, to have the agility related to, you know, even, even 5G, when you add slicing in there, being able to not extract a, you know, a required $50 ARPU, right, mm-hmm. per, per device, but, you know, 50 cents for this. $500 for this and, you know, f- you know, $50 for this. So it, yeah. it, it, it scales. Um, 5G uh, reality is inching toward the hype. Listen, we're three years in and, and we're getting closer, by the way, uh, 5G and, you know, keep me honest on this guys uh, is going faster than 4G, particularly on the device side. Yeah. Um, and, and on the network side, I don't think, you know, I, I would like to see more people out there with millimeter wave. Uh, the fact that, you know, you could align yourself with, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a you know, company out there that does uh, repeaters, uh, let's say like Movandi, uh, to, to put millimeter wave at one-tenth the cost of um, a, a G-Node B is, is pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, edge, managing edge. Right. The only way man- edge edge works is if you can manage it like you're managing something that's that's holistic and and close. And AI and automation were some key things that I saw in in how carriers are gonna are going to more effectively uh, manage uh, the edge out there. Uh, Wi-Fi seven uh, a reality. I mean, j- you know, just as we're taking a you know took a huge bite of Wi-Fi six. Here we are with Wi-Fi 7. Anshul, I know you are, you are all uh, uh, over this. So those are the big hitters that, uh, 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 that I saw. Guys, did I, did I you know, miss any there? Yeah, no, I mean, you nailed it. I think just one final comment I'll make, Pat, on, you know, you're talking about, you know, the cloudification. You know, this is really going to provide operators, you know, you know, great agility, the ability to be able to stand up networks faster. I, I agree with you. Yeah. When we look at um, the deployment of 5G, it's it's on an accelerated path relative to LTE. A lot of that is due to just the more inherently virtualized nature of 5G as well. Yeah. And security is going to be a concern. The 5G new radio standard has um, additional security provisions, but I think you're you're seeing a whole host of companies that are that are you know like the Zscalers of the world that that deliver you know cloud-based security um, that are going to have a play in the telco space as well. So now you hit all the points very very well. Yeah. 
So uh, swinging around on, on devices, um, you may have noticed uh, Apple had an event here, uh, iPhone SE, mm-hmm. uh, a low price uh, iPad, a monster uh, dual die uh, connected with uh, TSV for an M1 Ultra. But uh, the thing that pointed out, you know, the thing that stuck out to me was iPhone SE uh, supported uh, low band and mid band, but does not support millimeter wave. And listen, I, I, I got that for countries that, that aren't, you know, in big and rollouts, but I do feel like at least in the U.S., uh, millimeter wave, we're, we're close to doing that. And I, I understand it from a perception and a depositioning of it, which says, okay, all these other phones support all the bands. Uh, this cheapo at 429 only supports, uh, you know, uh, sub six and, and mid band. I get that, but it, it kind of fractures uh, what I thought was a, a pretty good kind of heterogeneous uh, network approach from all the carriers and all the handset makers in the U.S. I mean, it, is, guys, do you think this is kind of a, I don't know, a punch in the, the face of the carriers uh, for not getting their millimeter wave acts together as broad as, as maybe, you know, Apple wanted it or, or consumers want it? I mean, I'll, I'll jump in there. And obviously, Anshul is uh, the device expert. But, you know, Verizon, it's interesting when you look at, at least in the U.S., the priorities that the different operators have been focused on. Verizon had uh, millimeter wave uh, to work with. And so they've been focused on their ultra wideband rollout. Uh, it's limited, obviously limited, you know, metropolitan areas and that sort of thing, um, you know, versus, uh, you know, T-Mobile's got kind of a full, you know, kind of spectrum, you know, layer cake. With uh, with AT and T having low band and you know adding some mid band through C band and this auction one ten, but I don't know. I'd, I'd love to get Angel's you know perspective on this. But is it sort of a way to you know uh, you know provide some separation from a mid range phone and a premium phone? A yeah. premium phone having millimeter wave capability. What do you think, Angel? So I really think this is more of a function of cost more than anything um, because they're reusing an old chassis. Um, and there's just not much room to put millimeter wave antennas. Um, plus, then you have to consider the cost of new antennas. Um, so when you think about all these factors, it makes that, um, that, that cost profile of that device much, much less attractive. Um, and they're able to still claim that it has 5G. Um, so that way they're able to con- convince and entice users to upgrade to this new iPhone SE. Um, because you also have to consider that the type of user that wants to buy this device isn't always looking for the latest in technology and the, and maybe not always the latest and greatest, but they still want to have something that's relatively competitive with what, what else is out there. And my understanding is this is a two by two. So this is also going to be less, less throughput than most other devices in its price class. Um, so you're also paying maybe a little bit more for less 5G performance but you are getting an A15 Bionic, which is obviously Apple's fastest. Um, so you're kind of compromising there, but we'll see what the actual you know, ground performance looks like. But you know, this thing won't be remotely as fast as most other 5G devices out there today. Yeah. And Anshul, I have to ask you, where in the heck is this Apple modem? Two and a half years ago, Apple bought a fully functioning uh, Intel modem, 5G modem, and listen, the issue with, with Apple's modem was not on low band or mid band. It was on millimeter wave. <laughs> okay. Uh, so 
wait a second, I would have totally expected this SE to be an Apple modem or put the Apple modem on, on the low end new iPad that doesn't have voice. So you're not, you know, doinking around with Volte or, or something like that. Well, it's a good question. And I had a suspicion and a thought that it might be, or it could be. Um, oh, oh, so we don't, we might we not don't know. know yet. There is no interesting. And what modem is in there. So this Ooh. could be the first, this <laughs> could possibly be the first Apple modem, which would explain the lack of millimeter wave. Um, but we don't know. So I think at this point, we're going to have to wait until the device starts shipping in people's hands and they can start tearing it down. Um, I think, you know, having a Snapdragon X60 in here would be very expensive yeah. and make it difficult to hit that 429 price point, which might explain the other lacking features of this device. Um, so, I, you know, it's kind of up in the air. I, I, I'd be very curious to see if it is Apple Silicon. Um, I feel like they would have talked about it more if it was, yeah. um, but we'll see because there's not that many 5G modem vendors out there in the world. So they don't have very many choices. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah. So the last thing I want to talk about uh, was Qualcomm from a 5G leadership standpoint. Uh, gosh, actually the three of us uh, were, were additive to that 5G kind of end to end. I think it was a five or six part series. Will, you did some of it. Anshul, yeah. you did some of it. I did some of it and um, gosh, I guess, you know, kudos to the team here. Uh, Will, you had picked, gosh, T-Mobile to be a leader in 5G. What? I did. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when and, and everyone with... doubted us, you know, Anshul and I, you know, we, I mean, almost every other industry analyst doubted, doubted he and I, and at the end of the day, we were right. Yeah. So we and Anshul, you picked, uh, you picked Qualcomm to be, you know, the, the 5G leader, which by the way, wasn't a shoe in because the Apple Intel thing hadn't dropped. Uh, we hadn't seen a lot of proof uh, of, of Qualcomm's RF, but here we are. Um, I feel like Qualcomm's running up the score and let me, let me actually shift back. So uh, right in between uh, Steve Molokov, uh, prior CEO in, in his regime, uh, he, um, when he transferred then over to uh, CEO Christian Oman said, hey, we're going to diversify, right? We're going to still continue to lead in 5G uh, modems, but we're going to lead in uh, RF. We're going to lead in IoT. Uh, we're going to lead in, in automotive. And I think some people are like, oh, okay, this means, you know, this is, you're, you're not going to be competitive with 5G modems anymore. Right. Uh, people had their doubts. Well, at least based, you know, from talking to you guys, and I know you're on you're going to go into some of the details on this. I, I believe the X70 is is paying on that paying off on this. Um, and I think, you know, if nothing else puts uh, Cristiano, you know, in a, in a good light and the company in a light in that for about, I don't know, if you go back about eight years ago, investors were questioning, uh, could Qualcomm deliver on on their promises, right? And and we saw I would say it like three years ago. <laughs> uh, and uh, particularly around diversification, like like what do you do? It used to be this awesome thing to be affiliated with smartphones. Guess what? If you're affiliated with smartphones, you actually have a discount, particularly if you look across a lot of the different semiconductor makers. So yeah. um, I you know I, I view this as as yet another promise. I. The other thing uh, that they said is they would lead in premium Android. Uh, and, and I think at least from a, a looking at the SKUs that are coming out in premium Android, 
uh, they're also delivering on that uh, promise too. So with that, uh, I'm going to push it over to you, Anshul, to uh, keep all of us, uh, uh, I don't know, accurate uh, <laughs> on these things or, or, or call me on anything. I'm, I'm open to it. <laughs> so um, my, my summary of MWC is a little bit more device centric, which obviously makes sense because I'm the device guy. Um, and obviously, I'm also going to talk about some of the chipsets that were announced. And no surprise, this was a, a big show for Qualcomm. Uh, there was also a lot of announcements from MediaTek, um, but Qualcomm kind of led the charge when it came to uh, chipset announcements. They announced a new Wi-Fi 7 chipset, the Fast Connect 7800, um, with its a built-in uh, dual, dual connect uh, Bluetooth capability. And then they also announced two wearable Bluetooth chips, the S5 and the S3 for like earbuds. Um, and those will, will connect to uh, the 7800. And then you also have the X70, which you announced, which you talked about. Um, and that was uh, kind of an update where they integrated AI processing capabilities into the modem, which adds a bunch of new types of intelligence to make the modem more, more capable of you know, adjusting to network conditions uh, both for millimeter wave as well as sub six. So it kind of improved all kinds of user experiences, but there was a lot of talk about millimeter wave specifically because of you know, the, the, the differences that occur with you know, um, beam forming and, and bounces and all those kinds of things. So uh, the X70 was a big announcement for them. Um, and then on top of that, uh, there was just this mountain of Snapdragon 8 Gen 1 phones that were announced which was kind of expected because, you know, they, they announced the chip yeah. back at uh, Snapdragon Tech Summit in December. And we got this, this deluge of phones from Oppo. Um, that was the Find X5 Pro, which I have somewhere lying around here. I don't know what I did with it. Oh, it's right here. I've got, I've got it right here. There you go. And then nice. um, we've also got the Realme GT2. Um, we got some Poco phones from Xiaomi. Um, and then there was the magic, the the, um, the magic four pro, and they also showed off the V. Um, those were both from Honor, which is a spinoff from Huawei. Um, they no longer claim that they're part of the company, and they are actually shipping in Europe, and they're using Snapdragon chips. So they also ship with the Snapdragon eight Gen one. Uh, and then on top of that, um, MediaTek announced their new uh, smartphone SoCs. They announced the, the Dimensity 8000 and 8100, 8, which are designed to kind of slot in between their new flagship, which is the Dimensity 9000, and the uh, 1200, which they had in market already. And the 8000 kind of slots in between and, and has um, maybe not the latest ARM IP, but you know, kind of targets a much more uh, mainstream price sector. Uh, they also did some Wi-Fi 7 demos. So They'll probably have a Wi-Fi 7 chip coming soon, but they didn't announce any products at the show. Um, and then on top of that, it was kind of like a, uh, a multitude of announcements and, and you know just tons of devices. I would say um, two devices that were announced that uh, may have not caught everyone's attention were the, the Lenovo X13S, uh, which is a Snapdragon 8CX Gen 3. It's the first 8CX Gen 3 laptop. Um, and I'm very excited about it because it's, you know, Lenovo ThinkPad. Uh, and it's the first ThinkPad with a Snapdragon chip in it. And I think it's the first ThinkPad for Windows on ARM. So I think a lot of people are very excited about that 28-hour battery life. And then I also um, 
was pretty excited about the Samsung devices that they launched at the show, which were not smartphones, but they were PCs. And I was really excited about the, um, the what is it, Galaxy Book 2 Pro. Um, that one was the, that one's an Intel-based system and it's very exciting just because it's super light um, and it, it doesn't look as light as you would think it would be until you pick it up and try and use it. Um, but that, as far as devices and chipsets go, then there were a ton of uh, XR announcements. Some of them were 5G related, some weren't. Um, I got to try Holoride finally, um, and that was with the new um, HTC Flow headset, where they actually connect the headset to the car, and you have a VR experience in the car as the car's driving around in a virtual reality experience that matches the movement of the vehicle, because Holoride is working with automotive manufacturers to connect your headset with the car so that they can start to offer services like you know different types of games and entertainment um, so that you aren't just you know sitting in your car staring out the window or getting um, motion sickness staring at your phone. So um, that was a really cool demo. I hadn't had a chance to do that yet. There were some others like uh, World XR, which is like a little mini uh, version of the world that you can have in a Quest headset. Um, Qualcomm also announced a partnership or a deepened partnership with ByteDance, which is the parent company of TikTok and Pico. Um, so we're going to see more involvement there where Qualcomm works more closely with them. They also announced, Qualcomm announced a, a partnership at CES with Microsoft along a similar vein. So we're seeing Qualcomm deepen their XR partnerships with some of the biggest tech companies in the world. And then uh, HP announced uh, a XR platform for managing enterprise uh, VR headsets called Extend XR. And um, they were kind of showing that off at the show as well as you know giving people demos of their their uh, VR headset using this platform. So uh, it was a very busy show in terms of devices and XR uh, and chipsets. Uh, it felt like a you know a regular MWC for me, maybe a little bit lighter than usual, which honestly, I think the, the crowd was just about right in terms of yeah. uh, the amount of people. I agree. Yeah, I think the GSMA said that at the end of the day it was 61,000 people. So I, I thought the same thing. I mean, both you and Pat have talked about Qualcomm. I just, I, I want to mention just one thing from an infrastructure perspective. I'm impressed with how they have been focused on moving up into infrastructure, starting with small cells. Um, they've been doing that a year and a half plus. And at this event, you know, I mentioned the, uh, the accelerator card. Um, they're, they're getting more and more, you know, entrenched into the infrastructure space and where they can really play is, you know, in that disaggregated RAN. So I just wanted to, you know, sort of punctuate what, what both you and Pat have been saying about Qualcomm, but it, it just seems like they're firing on all cylinders and, you know, and arguably, you know, they're really driving, you know, the ecosystem from a Silicon perspective, as well as Marvell. Uh, you know, I spoke to Marvell and the Dell relationship as well, but uh, Qualcomm continues to impress. Yeah, so let me ask you, Anshul, was there any, there was a lot of device stuff and chip stuff out there. Were there any macro things you walked away with, particularly on the on the devices, something that's different? You know, are we are we re, are we reaching kind of peak smartphone here um, at, at some point of view? And and the smartphone maker is gonna have to come up with something different. I mean, I love my uh, my S22 Ultra. Um, the one feature I can say that it takes advantage of it's, is better night vision. Now that's not, I don't think that's a reason for somebody to upgrade from S21 Ultra, but 
Um, I, I, you know, maybe to go from an S20 or, or, or something uh, like that, maybe you've been waiting around for note. Just curious, broad, broad spectrum. Do, have you seen anything demonstrably different aside from bigger, better, faster uh, across the spectrum of smartphones the last two months? Yeah, I would say what we're seeing is kind of, I think the, the best company to watch in terms of what the market trend will be is Samsung. Um, I think this, this S22 Ultra is a really good demonstration of that because they've gone and taken their Note series and folded it into the S, S series. And all of their brick phones are now going to be in the S series. There will be no more Notes, I believe. Yeah. And I think they're going to do this dual launch where you get this in the spring and then you get a foldable in the fall. And I think you're going to, that's the foldables are going to be the new premium tier. Um, you saw it from Honor. You know, TCL showed a ton of foldable demos at the show, no products, but they're also working on them. Um, you know, I was able to finally play with the Oppo Find N, which also launched fairly recently. That's a different foldable. It's much smaller, but, you know, it folds into a very compact form factor. So I think you're going to actually see tons more innovation in the foldable space with different form factors, satisfying different types of users. And I think you're going to see, you know, maybe a, a bigger device where it comes goes from a tablet into a PC, which was kind of being rumored by Apple. That might happen with Apple. So I think foldables are going to be where innovation happens. Smart answer. And I think, <laughs> and I think, and I think innovation within foldables, because right now, you know, this is the latest and greatest thick, foldable, baby. It's right? thick. It's thick. But it's thick, right? And, and on top of that, it doesn't have remotely as good of a camera array. So I think there's still lots of room for improvement in foldables. And I think foldables is going to be where all the innovation happens moving forward. That said, it's, you know, the lack of periscopes on other phones really makes me not want to use them because I'm so used to having the crazy zoom that this phone has. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, that's good. I appreciate that. And I don't know if I just broke the rules of the G2 on 5G, but uh, I'm there not, are no I'm, rules. There are, no, have that's no good. Rules. No, that's good. No but it's been a great conversation, guys. Pat, thanks for joining. Um, your insights are always uh, spot on. Anshul, why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to reach out, reach out and provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Pat is at Patrick Moorhead. Will is at Will and Tech. And I'm at Anshul Saad. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune again next week.